Good morning, folks. I'm going to be sharing this morning on the subject of overcoming fear. Um, I suppose, as with all things, this probably came to my mind because of coronavirus. Um, a lot of people are afraid of catching it. Um, there's people who are scared of the government and of infringements on liberties. There's people that are afraid of the CDC. Um, and maybe you don't hear any of those things this morning. Um, but um, I'm not going to talk about that aspect of things. I'm not going to bring up coronavirus again because that's not where it's at this morning. The question is, how do you deal with the thing that you're afraid of this morning? Franklin Delano Roosevelt, many years ago, said that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I, did, I tried to wrap my mind around what that means. Like, you know, somebody comes and tells me of a snake in my driveway, and I say, don't tell me about it because I'll be afraid. And yet I think sometimes maybe that's kind of the way we're at. You know, we'd rather not hear about something than hear about it and be afraid. That would be terrible. Um, but Jesus says something entirely different. He says, And do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's Matthew 10, 28. Um, and the Bible repeatedly tells us to fear the Lord. And I don't know if we always understand exactly what it means to fear the Lord. Maybe we'll touch a little bit on that this morning. Um, I'm not going to tell you how many pages of notes I have this morning. You know, Milo did last Sunday, and if I did, you might be afraid I would run over time. And so I'd like to keep that fear away from you. Um, but let it be said that you all make it home by lunchtime at 12.30, so. Hope that's reassuring. So as I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of a time when I was scared. And um, I was in Guatemala doing some voluntary service. And um, there's a program called Water. And Water is with SMBI, and you have young people who do some training, and then they go down and, and pass off tracks and do whatever kinds of jobs they can do. And we had a young man who came down while I was down there named Jim. And we went out to the the Pacific Coast. Um, this was not part of um, passing out tracks. We were just having a fun day. Um, and while we were at the Pacific Coast, we were um, we decided to go to the beach part and jump in the waves, um, which was a fun thing to do. Um, but if any of you know about the Pacific Coast in Central America, it has a really strong undercurrent that can really suck people out. And it's easy whenever you're jumping in the waves to get farther out from shore than what you realize. Um, and I think most of us who were there were paying attention, but um, Jim wasn't. And he got farther and farther out, and he didn't realize that he was starting to have more and more trouble touching bottom, and he couldn't swim, and he started yelling. And every so often you hear about people who get sucked out, and they're good swimmers or whatever, and, and you know, they find them later on and they, they drown. Um, and so another guy and I went out to try to help him, and he was pretty far out. And the second we got out there, he started grabbing onto us and pulling us under and doing everything he could to keep us from helping get him back to shore. And as I was trying to get behind him, trying to get out of the reach of his groping arms, 
feeling scared. Because I could feel the current, and it was pulling all of us out. And I'm an okay swimmer, but I'm not a strong swimmer. And I was worried, what is going to happen? Are we going to be the person, the group of people that lost some young BSers out in the Pacific? Unfortunately, we were able to kind of get out of the reach of the drums, get behind him, grab him, and start pulling him in. And finally, we managed to drag him to a place where we could all touch bottom easily. But during the process, I felt fear. Fear that he would drag us all under. Fear that we wouldn't get him back to shore. I will tell you that, you know, we jumped in the waves for a little while longer, but we never got very far away from the shore again. Um, and I think we were all a little glad when we left. And I was young, so it didn't stick with me for very long. I'm not afraid of going to the beach. And, um, but fear is a real thing. And so as I start off, I'd like to tell you three things about fear. Okay? Fear is person-specific. So you may be afraid of spiders this morning or snakes. And your spouse may not be. Okay? Um, and, you know, there's probably something else that's kind of odd that you're kind of a little bit leery of. Um, so, fear is person specific, fear is real. Um, the fact that your spouse has fears that you think are trivial does not change the fact that they are very real to them. And there is a tendency to think. Other fears aren't important because they aren't our fears. And nothing could be further from the truth. If I'm worried about something, it's real to me and it needs to be dealt with. And because of that, there is a real tendency for us to hide our real fears from other people. Because we don't want them to look down upon us for the ways in which we worry about this that seems trivial to them. So there's three things. Fear is person-specific. Fear is real. And fear is something that needs to be overcome. And as I was reading about this, um, one author said that he's convinced that the reason why angels, when they show up, say fear not is not because they're so amazing and they shine with glory and they fear people. But because fear is the thing that stands in the way of us doing the will of God. And so when an angel comes with a message for somebody, he has something that God desires them to do. And fear is going to stand in their path. Second Timothy 1 7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Joshua 1 9, you all know, have not I commanded thee be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And clearly, God knows that we're afraid. And He gives grace to us to overcome that fear. If you all want to turn to Matthew chapter 14, um, I'd like to read um, 11 verses here. This is the story um, where Jesus walks on the water. And I would like to think of this story in the context of overcoming fear. And I will tell you that in this story, I see three people. 
or three groups of people. So there's Jesus, there's 11 of the disciples, and then there's Peter. So just kind of pay attention to those. And straight away, so Matthew 14, 22, and straight away Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straight away, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Jesus was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou now? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. It feels to me like the focus of this story is on Jesus and Peter. So Jesus has been teaching and healing all day long, and he needs a little bit of, of quiet time alone. So, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I have children, and and it's hard for me to get quiet time when they're awake. Um, and, um, and maybe Jesus felt sometimes a little bit about his disciples like they were children, like Peter's on the Jesus, Jesus, Jesus says, well, what was Peter? Says, wasn't that a really neat thing you did the other day? Healing all those people? Jesus says, yeah, yeah, Peter, that was really neat. And then five minutes goes by and Peter has something else to say. Probably not five minutes. Peter's, Peter's probably talking a lot. And sometimes Jesus felt a little tired and felt like he just needed a little space. So having been to the Sea of Galilee, it's not very big. And for someone used to walking, it would be about a four-mile walk from, um, from Capernaum to um, Gennesaret, which is where they were going. Um, but it would be really hard to walk across the sea, okay, uh, unless it was below freezing. Um, and um, so... Easy to do on land, not so easy to do on water, particularly not in the dark, because this is a good talk in the morning. And I think sometimes we get these stories confused and think, oh, this is a, this is a storm story, but there's no, no real indication. It just says that the boat wasn't making very good progress because the wind was coming from the wrong direction. Um, so the disciples are sort of um, rowing in place or, or sailing in place and just not making any good progress. And so suddenly Jesus comes walking on the water. He's walking faster than they can um, than they can sail. And it says that he was just going to pass them by. Um, and they were kind of scared. I, I imagine I probably would be a little leery if I saw someone walking by me at 2 o'clock in the morning on um, Smith Mountain Lake. Um, I'm not sure what I'd be doing up there at 2 o'clock in the morning, but... Um, so you see here, 
So that Peter, once he identifies this as Jesus, is an interesting mixture of brashness and fear. So the rest of the disciples are pretty afraid, and Peter probably was too, but he wants to stand out. He says, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you on the water. And we know from the story that Peter did get out of the boat. He walked to Jesus, um, but then in the middle he became afraid and began to think. I think sometimes we look down on Peter. You know, Peter didn't have enough faith. He got scared. He was afraid. And yet, he was somebody who at least took some steps out of faith, right? The rest of the disciples never got out of the boat. They thought it was Jesus. They had the same information that Peter had, but none of them were, were brave enough, reckless enough to get out of the boat and go to Jesus on the water. And if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. So what is fear? Fear is a negative emotion caused by the belief that something is dangerous or will cause pain. And this is nothing new. We find it in the Garden of Eden. Um, not before the fall, but after. Genesis 3, verse 10. God says to Adam, Why did you hide yourself? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. And the Bible clearly identifies fear as entering the world because of sin. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve didn't fear anything. Creation was their friend. They didn't have to worry about wild animals or poisonous things or whatever. I, I don't know how everything worked back then. I don't, I doubt they want to eat some of the things that we don't eat today, but at least they had knowledge that they're not going to eat poison ivy because it's, you know, it's not good. But I, I have a feeling that Adam and Eve didn't break out when they got near poison ivy either. But maybe they just wasn't poison ivy in the Garden of Eden. Maybe that's something that got introduced in the fall. Certainly, it's uh, our response to it has changed since then. They knew God personally, and they knew that He would protect them from anything. And after the fall, sin drew a wedge between Adam and Eve, and also between them and God. And so that's when fear entered the picture. Close to the very beginning, not at the very beginning. Courage is continuing to do something in spite of your fear of it. And this is different from recklessness. So people can teach this. Um, if you're a brand new driver, it probably takes some courage to get behind the wheel. But once you've been driving for a while, there's no courage involved with driving on normal road conditions, even if there's still some risk involved. So there's a lot of things that as time goes by, we overcome those fears. So what are some common fears? Well, claustrophobia is one. You've probably heard of this fear of tight places. Um, thinking of poo at rabbit's house uh, after eating a little too much honey and other things. Um, he kind of got stuck and, um, and um, couldn't get out until the thinning process went on for quite a while. Um, I have a sister who's really afraid of tight places, and when we went to Israel, we rode up in this cable car, um, gondola kind of thing, 
up to um, up to a place called the Masada, and they packed people in, and it it really scared her. Um, like she was almost physically ill. Her children kind of crowded around her and tried to like make a little bubble around her to, to keep her like having this little bit of space. Um, but it was one of the most stressful things. It wasn't the height; it was the closeness. Um, a fear of heights, acrophobia. This is one of mine. I, I hate climbing really high places, and if I'm like in a narrow ledge at a high spot, I, I kind of get a little woozy. Better. Um, and um, as I was kind of thinking about this, um, some famous people were afraid of some odd things. So Walt Disney was afraid of mice, um, which is kind of odd because Mickey Mouse, of course. But I guess he was not afraid of cartoon mice, just real mice. Gustav um, Eiffel, who designed the Eiffel Tower, was afraid of heights. Frederick Chopin, um, the pianist and composer, was afraid of being buried alive. So those are some common fears, but it feels to me as though many of our fears revolve around fear of other people's response to us. Milo talked last Sunday about, about sharing the truth, and there can be a fear of sharing the truth. It is not always easy for me to tell patients that I think they're not going to deal well with, okay? Um, telling them that they need to diet or exercise more or whatever else it is. It, you know, I, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with it. But even now, I, I try to be careful in the way I phrase these things because I don't want them to take offense and I want to hear the truth that I'm sharing with them. And I assume that when people go to the doctor, they want to hear truth. When, when you have a friend, you don't always want to hear the truth. You want them to tell you good things about yourself. Um, there's a fear of sharing the gospel message. It feels like it's pretty easy when we're with people of God. This morning, it's easy to talk about Jesus and about what it produces in our lives. But there's a lot of other places where it's not so easy. Fear of sharing our weaknesses with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And this feels like a really important thing, too. What will they think of us? God is faithful and will help us overcome these things. So, to me, there's two groups of fears. There's what we could call rational fears, and these are healthy fears. Um, understanding the risk of something and, and having a, a distrust for it. Um, so, maybe. Like, if you go to the Everglades, you shouldn't bring a swimming suit along and just swim one of the alligators. You know, that would be a rational decision. Uh, and then there are irrational fears, which to me are based on some reality, but are out of proportion to the risk found with that given activity or thing. So, it feels like flying is a good example of this. So, I, I hate flying. And whenever the plane starts bumping a lot, I start. Um, praying really hard for the pilot and the co-pilot and asking God to bring the plane down safely. Um, I don't know that it's so much that I'm afraid of dying, but just more that I wouldn't really want to hit the ground real fast. Um, and yet you read all the studies and you're like, well, why is safe? It's safer than driving. But it doesn't feel that way. It feels pretty unsafe when I'm up there. 
And there's clearly times that God calls us to confront both rational and irrational fears. So what are ways that people typically overcome fears? So this is not Christian, okay, although Christians use these techniques too. Um, but this is, this would be talking about ways in which a lot of us have tried to get beyond things that we're afraid of. So one is avoidance. Um, and this is probably the most common. Um, I had worked with a doctor once who was terribly afraid of elevators. Um, he got stuck one, once in one for several hours, and he just would never ride elevators again. And we worked in a nine-story hospital, and he would take the stairs routinely up and down. Um, which I guess is good exercise, you know, it's not a bad thing. Um, but you can imagine that, um, that there's times when it, you know, we be shorter to take the elevator. Uh, but he couldn't do it. Um, and so you just avoid the thing that you're afraid of. Um, next thing is reliance, or relying on others to protect us. So I think wives often look to their husbands to protect them from six to eight-legged creatures um, who might inhabit their home. You know, we look on fire departments to protect us from fire, and, and there's probably other things. So, you know, um, and this could be a good thing if you're relying on God, but a lot of us rely on humans. Um, you know, you can pray for um, relief from spiders, but I imagine that it helps to have someone nearby who's going to step on them for you if you're afraid to do it yourself. Exposure. So making yourself you or be around things that you're afraid of. Um, so there's actually a, a psychological technique called flooding where you just force yourself to do something that you hate doing and you do it over and over again and eventually, um, you know, I guess you get used to it. Um, I don't know that you ever enjoy it, but if you're afraid of flying, you just make yourself fly and fly and fly and then eventually you're just like, oh, I can put it from here to San Francisco as on a plane. Um, repression. So this is a, a way that Many people deal with a fear of death, so they just try not to think about it. Um, we had a medical student who was um, working with us and he was staying with us, and, um, and they would always eat with us. And we had over um, some families from church, and this was in Indiana, and, and our pastor was alive, and he said, um, he asked this medical student, uh, where do you think you're going when you die? Which was a pretty pointed question. I, I thought it was probably braver than what I would uh, have been. And he said, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't really think about that a whole lot. And, and Berlin really pushed him on it. And, um, and he finally said, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking about this. I wish you'd really stop talking to me about this subject. I try not to think about it, and you're making me think about it. Or words to that effect. Education is another thing. So just simply learning about the risks of something might help us. So knowing the infrequency of toxic spider bites in this country might help you get beyond your fear of spiders. And then again, it might not. And then medication. So um, I'm a doctor, I prescribe medicines, and certainly. You know, people who are afraid of public speaking, for instance, there's medicines they can take that will slow their heart rate down and, and help them get through a, an experience like that. So those are, those are things that a lot of people do. And you probably use um, some variation of these yourself. Um, 
So I'd like to look at a couple of examples from the Bible of people um, who were afraid, think on them, and then kind of move into things that I think the Christians should be thinking about to overcome fear. So the first one was Elijah. First Kings 19, 1 through 3. Um, so remember, this comes right after the um, Elijah had a great victory on Mount Carmel over the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel gets told about this. First Kings 19, 1 through 3. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. And we know that he went out into the desert after being saved by an angel. And there God spoke to him. So Elijah just won a great victory over the prophets of Baal, but it didn't stop him from being afraid of Ahab and Jezebel. So why was this? You know, maybe it was just crashing after a mountaintop experience, so he just, he just couldn't live up there for too long. Maybe he was just worn out from being pursued for the last three and a half years of being pursued by Ahab. Maybe he only felt like he was all alone. Maybe he felt like he had no purpose. So what was left after defeating the prophets of Baal? And for that matter, what had changed? Israel was still a pagan land. Ahab and Jezebel still ruled. People still did not honor God. Regardless, we know here that he was gripped by Nephew that he left the place he was supposed to be and fled south into the Sinai Peninsula. And here the end of the story is that he was given three things. He was given a reinvigorated connection with God, a renewed mission, and a new helper, Elijah. So what are things that we can learn from Elijah here? First of all, even the strongest men and women of faith need reassurance and fellowship. Second thing is that if we share our fears with God, He will give us the tools we need to move forward. Third thing is that He may not give us the same things that He gave to Elijah, but He will not abandon us. And maybe the most important thing to remember when we're afraid is that God has not changed. Only our perception of Him has. Isaiah 59 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, neither His ear heavy that He cannot hear. The second that I thought about was the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is probably not the first story that comes to your mind when you think of fear. But Dwayne Knightley preached a whole series of messages about this. And in Luke 15, 17, and 18, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and will say unto me, Father, I sinned against heaven and before thee, 
They are no worthy to be called, no more worth to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And we see here that the prodigal son was afraid of his father. And I was impressed by the fact that although this, the son knew his father, he was still desperately afraid of meeting him. Sin and wrongdoing had driven a deep wedge within their family between him and his father and his brothers. But even more clearly, even though he thought he knew his father, he didn't really know his father. If he had known his father, he would have known that his father's love for him could not be killed. That it would endure on. That his prayers would be would continue to go up for him, and that forgiveness would be waiting for him. What can we learn from this story? Sin will lead us to be afraid of our Heavenly Father. And God's judgment, while very real, so is His love and mercy. John 6.37 says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and to him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Let's move on to truly overcoming fear. So I mentioned the fear of the Lord earlier. It feels like this is the beginning of us overcoming fear. What is the fear of the Lord? I, I think many of us picture. Um, how we would be if we'd been kind of acting up at home when we were kids and your mom said, just wait till your dad gets home and sees this. And you just sort of shake inside and you're like, boy, when dad gets home, it's oh, not going to be good. And we're afraid of our dad in that moment. And maybe that's what we think of. But as I was looking into it, the fear of the Lord is when we run into God's presence in our lives and understand who He is and who we are not. And that to me is a hard concept to understand. In my mind, I almost pictured like if you've never been to the Grand Canyon and you walk up to the edge and you look out and you see the vastness and you cannot see the end of either end of the canyon. It is more than your mind can really contain. And you take that time to a million, and maybe that's what the fear of the Lord is. And once you're afraid of Him, you don't have to be afraid of anything else. So that's where it begins. The second thing to me is learning to know God. Go back to the prodigal son. He lived with his father for many years, and yet at the same time, he didn't really know his dad. If he had, he would not, he would still have been sad. He would have still been sorry for his sin. He would have still approached his father with his unworthiness. But he would have approached him as well with his purity, knowing that his father's mercy and love were everlasting. And the problem is that we can know a lot about God and not we have focused on the attributes of God, the names of God, the things that God has done. But we don't really know Him. 
And so it begins with knowing God. And this is the main reason for trusting God, learning to trust God. And I think it's a little different from knowing God. It begins with knowing Him, but it's more. There's so many promises that we read through Scripture, but it's sometimes hard for us to believe that they apply to us personally. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And unfortunately, our experience probably tells us that we can't trust the promises of other people, even people that we love, make to us. God's promises are sure. And the song says that we tested inside God's promises and we know that they're sure. Uh, but sometimes we're afraid to do that. Sometimes it's like us standing on the edge of bungee jumping and we're like, you know, I'd rather just not. That's God's promise this morning. I'd rather just avoid this dangerous situation. Next is learning to love. First John 4, 18 and 19 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears is not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And so often our fears have to do with other people, with their responses to us, with what they think of us. They may also have to do with the fear of suffering for the name of Jesus. And yet, it feels to me like when I love Jesus enough, I'm going to be willing to go wherever He asks me to go. When I love other people enough, I'm going to be willing to step out in faith. I think Dan has shared the story of Damien, Father Damien, who went to Hawaii to serve among the leper colony. Um, and knowing the danger to himself, he chose to spend time with them. Um, and this is not something that was enjoyable. The lepers often have festering sores and some just really difficult to kind of deal with things. And we have treatment for, for Hansen's disease today, but they didn't back then. And on his arrival, he told them, that he was one who will be as a father to you, and one who loves you so much that he will not hesitate to become one of you, to live with you, and die with you. And one day, he put his foot in salt and water, and although his foot blistered up, he felt nothing, and he knew that he had not been And later on, he wrote to a friend that he makes himself as a leper with the lepers, so that he can know Christ. And that sort of feels far removed from where we're at this morning. How do you show love in that way? Um, and I knew a lady um, in Indiana who was a therapist there, and she had a sister who, um, they were both in their 40s, her sister experienced kidney failure. And Chris got tested and found that she could donate a kidney to her sister. 
And so that's exactly what she did. Her love overcame her fear of surgery, her fear of, of going through life with only one kidney, and the fact that she was probably increased risk for developing kidney failure herself later on. And so I would say this morning that it's not that love takes away your fear. It's just that your fear is so much less in comparison to that love that you cannot help doing what you are called to do. And so let's go back to the beginning. Peter got out of the boat. And this feels crucial to me. It is a step of faith. It is also following a command. Jesus said, come. And I think we often struggle because we know that rather than go to Jesus, we are only inviting him to come along with us. Am I really following my Father's will, or am I simply asking that he would accept my will as his, and as the right path for me? And Peter, in this moment, unlike the other disciples that overcome his fear, is doing something that none of us have ever done. And just a little bit later, Peter became afraid. And this is our human tendency. We go here, we roller coaster, we go up and down, and we are, we're living on top of the mountain, and then we're afraid. And we began to say, and I think it's a blessing that this is in the story too. Because Peter didn't walk perfectly on the water. His faith did not continue from that day on, and it was just all perfect. But there are two blessings to see. Thinking does not mean drowning, and failure does not mean the end. Yesterday I was preparing some hummingbird food. Not much, just sugar and water. But to get the sugar to dissolve in the water, you have to keep the water. I'm trying to get the water to become super saturated, to become more saturated than it would otherwise. And this cloudy mixture, as it gets hotter, becomes clear. You all have seen this with sweet tea, probably, if you've not made hummingbird tea. And as I was preparing this, I thought about how I want to be like that. So saturated with God's love that nothing makes me afraid. And if He has to keep my life to bring me to that place, that's what I want. And I pray that each one of us can get there. Romans 5, 5 says, Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. 